I want you to hear that about that's my king because that's really what we are talking about tonight. We were talking about the Davidic covenant um, and this idea that God makes a promise that there will be someone that's going to reign in, in holiness and in justice and in righteousness and it's everything's going to be set right and, and all that. And so um, that's where he moved on. But just as a quick kind of recap, a little covenant recap for us. Um, the very first one we talked about was, uh, well, we, we talked kind of an overview. The guy had made covenant even at creation and with Noah. But really the first covenant is we move towards God redeeming the planet and everything is the Abrahamic covenant. Um, just the idea that God says, listen, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a nation. And it's going to be a blessing to all nations. And, and it was one-sided. It was really God saying, hey, no matter what, this is going to happen. This is, this is going to be fulfilled and everything. And so that, that promise to Abraham so, so long ago. Um, and then as it grew and the people grew in fruition, we came with the Mosaic Covenant. And then really Mosaic Covenant was like, here's how you respond to each other. Here, here's, here's laws and here's guidelines for living and for worshiping. And, for and it covered everything. I, I know most people don't like to read like Leviticus or or Numbers, or Deuteronomy, but I mean, in there is such a wealth of stuff where God is just so specific and saying, listen, here it is. But that covenant, again, was kind of, as in, you have a choice to, to each day. There's either blessing or cursing. And if you do it my way, there's going to be blessing. If you do it your way, there's going to be curses. And, everything. and so there's a little bit of a conditional statement in there, but still God's like, but this is the standard. This is how it was always supposed to be and, and everything. And so that leads us into now after that, you know, the Jews take the land. Um, they go through a period of judges and, and all that stuff. It ends with Samuel and, and the Jews all of a sudden are like, hey, we want a king because everybody else wants a king. And basically they rejected God as their king um, and, and said they want a king. So we started with Saul, who everybody chose, everybody thought was great, was not the right man for the job. And we, we come to David, and that's where um, this, this covenant happens. And, and so he, here's what's happening. When Saul ruled, Israel was not fully, like, all combined. And everything. If you have Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel, and we're going to be kind of sitting in there tonight. Um, the covenant is actually in 2 Samuel 7, but we're going to bounce back a little bit. Um, to chapter 5, and just to give you a little bit of history of what, what's happening and everything. But, but when Saul ruled Israel, um, there were still factions. There were still people. They were still dealing with different, like, Jebusites and the Canaanites and the Philistines and, and all these people. And there's these little factions and tribes that were kind of raiding them all the time and everything. And so it wasn't a united kingdom at all. I mean, Saul, Saul was there, but it didn't have all the tribes, all the people. That promise back in Abraham that, man, you guys are going to maintain this land. You're going to be a kingdom of a kingdom of priests and, and everything. And so David comes on the scene, a man after God's own heart, the one that God chooses that nobody else would choose. I mean, if you know the story, Samuel goes, God sends Samuel to Jesse and to go choose the next king. And Jesse brings all his sons, and they're tall, and they're ruddy, and they're strong, and everything. And, he's doing, and, and Samuel goes, nope, nope, nope. He's like, didn't you have any more sons? He's like, yeah, I got the, the runt, the youngest. He's out watching sheep. 
And the one that nobody else would choose is the one God chose. Like, that's my man. And so David comes in, slays Goliath, becomes famous. Saul doesn't like him. Saul's jealous of him, tries to kill him. David had multiple times where he could have just killed Saul and become king. And yet he said, no, I'm going to wait for you, God. I'm going to wait in your time. I'm not going to raise my hand and everything. And so finally Saul dies. They make David king. And in Samuel chapter 5, um, David actually unites for the first time the 12 tribes. Really for the first time since back in J- Jacob's day when the sons, and they weren't even united then. They didn't like each other back then. They, you know, they, they threw Joseph, killed, tried to kill Joseph and sold him to slavery. But he unites the kingdoms, and, and he brings over. And that's what's happening really in, in 2 Samuel verse 5, that David's the king. Um, and it says in verse 3, So all the elders of Israel came to the king, of king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began his reign. He reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all of Israel and Judah. And basically what happened is right in the middle of Israel, there was this little encampment of a group of Jebusites. And they had a city that no one can get into. David found a way, and he defeated them. That city was Jerusalem. It became the city of David. And it became the capital. It became the center. And so David does this. He unites the whole kingdom. And as he's doing this, he's figuring like, hey, you know what? God's blessing because it kind of felt like God's hand wasn't on him. They were getting persecuted. They're getting pushed around and everything. And so David makes a decision. He's like, we need the Ark of the Covenant back. Um, Because Saul had lost it in a battle to the Philistines. In fact, it's a really funny story. It's back in in the beginning of uh, 2 Samuel um, in Chronicles, it talks about too, where where the Philistines took it, they took it to their temple where all their gods, statues of their gods were, <laughs> and they all fell over face down in front of the ark. <laughs> and whoever held it, it was horrible. And so they just pushed it away, and they finally found it somewhere, like over in some little town. And David sends people to go get it. They don't handle it correctly. The two guys that are handle, not handling it correctly die because no one's allowed to touch it. No one's allowed to do anything, and they die. God strikes them dead because you don't touch it. And so everyone's scared, and finally David's like, all right, we're going to go get it. But he brings the ark back, and this is kind of a picture of God is now blessing. The ark was a symbol of God's presence with the people of Israel. Um, And without his presence, they were going to get wiped out. And and so David saw this, and so he brought the ark back, and he built a tabernacle, another tent, and, and put it in there. And also... And what meantime, David sets up, he has a nice palace and everything. He's got a great house. The, one of the kings gives him a bunch of cedar. He builds this beautiful house. He sets up a tent, brings the, brings the, um, the, 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 the tabernacle in and, and all this stuff. And, and it's all good. The kingdom is great, but David has kind of a dilemma now. You know, this is a man after God's own heart. David kind of has a dilemma. Like I said, he just he's united the kingdom. He he's he's got this beautiful palace and everything, and he's sitting there and he's looking out and he sees the tent. And he's like, "This isn't right. Why am I in a house?" Look at Second Samuel seven. 
And verse 1 says, And when the king had settled into his palace, and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, Nathan, look, I am living in a cedar house while the ark of God sits inside a tent, inside tent curtains. He's like, this isn't right. This is God. This isn't like any other God. All the other places, they have temples for their gods, and they're fake gods, and, and, they're, and they're useless gods. They're not even real. This is our God that is living and breathing, and he moves with us, and he blesses us, and he guides us and leads us. And why am I in a nice house, and he's in a tent? It just, and so God, David's heart was, listen, I just, I want to I build a temple for him. But God looks at David and says, no. The problem is, is David was more of a soldier than he was kind of prophet king. And God actually said, there's a lot of blood on your hands. And because there's a lot of blood on your hands and you did all this, you're not the one to build the temple. But don't worry about it because I have something better. So God responds to him. Look at verse 12. And this is actually the covenant. And this is where we're getting into it tonight. Um, in verse 12. You know, Nathan comes back to him. He asks Nathan, hey, go ask God. I want to build him a temple. I'm going to do this. And he gets the news. And you got to feel like David's like, but I want to do this. I really appreciate it. And here's God's response. Starting in verse 12, he says, when your time comes and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up after you your descendants who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with the rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him, as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. This is beautiful. God's like, I really appreciate you want to build me a house. I'm going to build your house instead. Don't worry about that. I'm going to build your house instead. We have come from this idea of this nomadic people. And God says, man, I've got a great plan for the whole world. And it's going to come from you. And then it starts getting structure and, 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 and everything in, in the law. And now it starts getting even more defined. Like, okay, what does this mean? You know, God, you set your standards and stuff, so, so how are we going to live this way? And remember, these are people, and we are people that have rejected God as our leader. Israel said, we'd rather have a king, a human king. And it was never meant to. It was always supposed to be God. It was supposed to be a theocracy. God speaking through the prophets and people just doing it and everything and everything. And, and so here's David, who's God-chosen man. And God says, listen, don't worry about building my house. I want to build you a house I instead. And so, so here's kind of the breakdown uh, uh, of the entire covenant. And so the very first thing is that God promises your son's going to succeed you. Your son, not anybody else's time. He wasn't Saul's son. He was kind of an outsider. And that's kind of how culture worked back then. If I kill the king, I become king. And God promises that your son Solomon, you know, it, it, it's he, he's going to rule. He's going to carry on the line for you and everything, wh which is really cool because if you know anything, Solomon was his son through Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the one that he had adultery with. 
that he murdered somebody to cover it up. And he lost his first kid out of kind of punishment for that. But, but God again comes in and redeems him. He says, look, I'm in the redeeming business. I'm going to take this son of yours, and he's going to become king. And not only that, is that house you want to build? Solomon, he's going to build it. Solomon's going to live in peace. There were no wars in Solomon's time. Solomon, you know, w- when God asked him, what do you want me to do for you? You know, Solomon at a young age says, man, just give me wisdom to lead. And God said, I'm going to give you wisdom and everything else. In the end, it caused him problems. Solomon started really well. He didn't end well. And stuff which happens so often in scripture that we see. But, but Solomon would build the temple. And in fact, he did. It was magnificent. There's never been a temple like it since Solomon's temple. They, they tried to, they rebuilt it, they rebuilt it, and, and they did, but it's never been the same. It's Solomon would build the temple. And not only that, Solomon's throne would be established forever. Look at, look at it. Uh, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes, when you die and you rest with your fathers, I'm going to raise up your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house forever. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. That means there will never be anybody outside the line that would sit on that throne. And so here, here's a promise. He says, okay, David, I'm, I'm, you're going to have someone to succeed you. It's going to be your flesh and blood, your son. He's going to build the temple, and I'm going to establish his, his reign. I'm going to establish his throne, that it will always be someone from his line. Now, he does give a warning there. He says, listen, now, if he messes up, there's going to be appropriate punishment for sin. And, and I love God is always honest. He always says, listen, you can do it your way. You can do it my way. There's always a consequence for whatever we do, whether it's a positive or negative consequence. There's always consequence, and so that's it. Always drives me crazy when people are like, "Well, God, you know, God just why does He get so upset about sin?" And I said, "Well, because He's holy and He's righteous, and I care that He actually cares that I'm doing right." And so, what kind of God would He be if He didn't care? And so He says there's going to be appropriate sin, but the difference with this, He says, but unlike Saul. Who I remove, my mercy and love will endure. My grace will endure. There will always be a way to come back. There will always be a way to, to, to set it right again. I'm, I'm not just going to throw you out to do this. And then not only that, and then finally, he says not only Solomon, but he says your throne. You know, my faithful love, in verse 16, your house and kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever and so here's this promise this beautiful promise that god makes says listen david i'm going to do something here and out of you and out of your line there will always there's going to be a king and that king that kingdom and that reign will last forever it will never leave my sight now through time there have been pauses in that and it's not fulfilled yet and, and as we'll see as we go back into, like, what happens after this. Um, but the idea is that God says he makes a promise here. So, And again, we look at this, and it kind of gears back to the Davidic covenant. It's not about, he says, listen, if you mess up, if you sin, there's going to be punishment. It's going to be appropriate. But I'm still going to do this. I'm still going to love you. I'm still, it's going to endure, and you're going to have 
a throne. I love it. Psalms 89, 3 and 4, it says this. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn an oath to David, my servant. God says, I'm going to do this. Once again, the difference between a contract and a covenant. Contract, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then I can back out of it. God's saying, I know you're not going to do what you're supposed to do, David. I know your descendants aren't going to do what they're supposed to do. They're going to mess up. They're going to do stupid stuff. But I promise you that this is going to be fulfilled. And there's going to be someone that's going to reign and rule and make it the way it's always supposed <coughs> Excuse me. Make it the way it's always supposed to be. I promise. And I love that God, you know, the only limitations are on God are the ones that he places on himself. God cannot lie. He only cannot be God. That's what it says in Hebrews. God cannot break a promise or he cannot be God. He has to keep his oath. And I kind of get this picture like we talked about in Abraham where God says, I swear upon my own name. Because there was no higher name. That in this picture, David's like, great, I love your heart, but here's what I'm going to do. I have a bigger and better plan. And so what, what happens with that? How does God keep that covenant? Because you look at Israel today, they don't have a king. There's no king there. There's none of that. In fact, when Jesus was born, by the way, just a little, little trivia, Joseph his dad should have been king. He was the oldest next in line to be a king. If, if, if Rome hadn't put Herod and all them in place as puppets and stuff like that and have a puppet king to kind of rule over. Joseph, and so Jesus being the firstborn of Joseph is, is that person in, in the line. So, so, so what happens? He says, I will establish your offspring forever and build up your throne for all generations. Again, just that promise at the, at the end of that psalm. Um, I'm going to do this. No matter what, I'm going to do this. And this is all part of my plan. So so what, what happens with that? So let, let's see how God fulfills it. very first thing is Solomon. Solomon becomes king. And he builds the temple. And he dedicates it. And it's a beautiful, it's a magical, it's, it's a momentous occasion for the nation. And stuff. It was probably it's probably the greatest worship service this world has ever seen. It lasted for days. Can you imagine going to church for days? Stuff I know it sometimes feels like it, but I mean it was just it was a magnificent celebration. God's presence was there and stuff. The, the only problem that happened is people started believing more in the temple, the God of the temple. Um, later on in Jeremiah, we read that was the sin uh, of the people. That's that's why God finally sent the Babylonians and said, "Take them away. I'm done." And it was destroyed and, and everything because the people put more faith in the temple. I think that still happens today. People get more interested in the church than the God of that church. And, and, and so, but God kept his promise. Solomon built the temple and it was magnificent and it was thing. After Solomon died, though, like I said, Solomon started really well. He didn't end well. His son became king. His son was a knucklehead. Solomon, because he built the temple and he was building the nation, and it was at its grandest time in Solomon. There was no greater time in the history of Israel than the time than it was the time of Solomon. Um, there was peace. There were trade agreements. They, they had expanded everything. It was just God was blessing. His son takes over, um, and because of all that, there were a lot of taxes, though, too. His son takes over, and the 
elders come up and say, hey, listen, your dad taxed people an awful lot, but everything's done. The temple's done. The temple, you know, the, 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 the palace is done. We're in a good place. Maybe you should just pull back off the taxes. And so he goes, talks to his friends that are his age, <laughs> and they say, no, no, tax them more. If your dad taxed him this much, you double it. You tax You show him that you're in charge and stuff. I just, just a side note, don't ever get advice from somebody that hasn't doesn't have more experience than you. Because that, that's what happened to Solomon's son. And because of that, the nation split. You, you have the northern tribes, um, northern, and that was really called Israel. Never was there a ruler up there um, that was in the line of David. It was always who killed who. And not one of the kings, if you go through the stories through First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and Second Samuel, and you read the stories about all the kings, not one was a good king. Not one. It, in fact, everyone said they did evil in the sight of the Lord. Every single king. And by 722 B.C., they were taken away. The Assyrians came in, took them away, and they no longer existed. In fact, when Jesus came around, that area was known as Samaria. The ones that the Jews hated so much, because that's why. They were interbred. They were, there were no pure Jews. There were no pure blood there. Those were the ones that broke off, and so that hatred lasted a long, long time. But in 722 B.C., they just, they're gone, and, and they don't exist. The southern was Judah, um, and that's where Jerusalem was, and eight out of the 19 of all the kings were good kings. Only eight. Out of the 19 were good kings. But every one came from the line of David and stuff. And for them, about 586 B.C., God just had enough with them. And the Babylonians, he raised up the Babylonians who beat the Egyptians and beat everybody. And they started taking captives. And he started controlling and enforcing their might. That's where Daniel gets taken. And one of the first um, taken, that's when they go into exile. And they go into exile. And finally, you know, they destroy the temple. And everything. Since that moment on, there's been no Davidic king for almost 2,600 years. That's a big space. Think about it. From, from that moment, for almost 2,600 years, there's been no one in the line of David that has sat there as king. Now, there have been moments where they ruled themselves, the Maccabees, that's that intertestamental period. Um, if you, if you um, there's a group of books called the Apocrypha, um, and there's there's First and Second Maccabees that tells the story of how they revolted against you know the Greeks and the Romans, and and, and they kind of took control again and stuff and and everything, and they ruled themselves, and the Maccabees ruled and and all stuff. That's where they get Hanukkah comes out of that time, and everything, the Festival of Lights, and and everything, a lot of the traditions. But there's never been a king, a king. I mean, even today, what is it, 1948, they reconstituted as a country. It was 1948 or 1942, maybe 46. They reconstituted as a nation. Um, and they've never had a king because they still haven't claimed Messiah. They, they still have denied it and stuff. And, and so there hasn't been a king there. So wh where does that leave us? If God made this promise, David, hey, your throne is going to last forever. It's, it's never going to end. You know, some people look at that and say, "Well, see, God broke His promise. There's no king in Israel." Well, 
He's not there yet. He was. See, because the truth is that God is always faithful to keep his promises. You know, we have our timing, and God has his timing. And, and as, I, as I said earlier, Jesus, do you know why there's a genealogy in Matthew and in Luke? Matthew, it's the genealogy of Joseph. Luke, it's the genealogy of Mary. They're both from the line of David and the line of Solomon. It goes all the way back to that. Um, in Matthew, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and so it was always about the father. And so they showed that this, this, even though he was not the legitimate, but the adopted son of Joseph, he was in the line. He was the firstborn of Joseph. He had a right to be. He had a right to be king. It, it was Joseph was the elder of the line of David at the time. And so he was next. And so Jesus was from the line. Mary, again, same thing, came from the line of David. It, there's a really interesting thing in there, too. You know one of the reasons Joseph couldn't be Jesus' dad? Because there was a king named Jeconiah that was so bad, so horrible. God looked at him and says, you will never have an offspring to be king again. You're, you're done. That was the line that Joseph came out of. Mary still came out of another line from a different son of Solomon and, and everything that skipped over him. And so God, again, when God says something, he keeps his word, and God is faithful. And so God has an ending around saying, like, he's still in the line of David. He's still all this. But God is faithful, and he made a promise to the people. And they lived in that promise in exile and everything going on. They lived in the promise. In fact, in Isaiah 9, 6, um, one of the great prophecies, it says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The entire chapter is talking about there's a Messiah coming. By the way, Jesus' last name isn't Christ. Christ just means Messiah, the chosen one, the, the one that God is placing on the throne <coughs> to rule and everything. And, and one of the reasons that the Jews rejected Jesus so much is because he came, but they didn't read the part. They skipped over the part where it says first he has to come to suffer. First he has to come to redeem the sin. Then he comes back and rules with an iron fist. Then he comes back and he takes charge and everything. But first he comes here. They were oppressed people. The Romans weren't nice people. They were taxed and they were brutalized and, and they were oppressed and, and they had to ask permission for everything and all their beliefs. Even though the Romans let people believe what they wanted to believe, there was still that pressure all the time. And, and so they were sick of it. And so when Jesus comes, there would have been a ton of people that came up and said, I'm Messiah. You know, when Jesus was tempted, and it says that Lucifer took him up, Satan took him up on the top of the temple and says, hey, jump off the temple, off the pinnacle of the temple, because the Bible says the angels will protect you. You won't even dash your foot. There were literally people at a time that would show up. I'm Messiah. They would climb the temple and they would jump off because they were nuts. And Jesus said, I'm not going to do it that way. He said, there's a way people will know me because the Father draws me. The next time I come, there will be no doubt who I am. But God made a promise to David, and he reminded the people of the promise. He says, I promised David that there would always be a ruler. There would be someone that would come to set it all right, that, that it would be all good. 
and there may be a break. And, and I understand it's so frustrating when we're praying and we're looking for God to do something, and we say, God, we need it right now. And God's like, not yet. Just wait. But I can tell you with all sincerity tonight is that God's never late. That's why the Bible says that at the perfect time, Christ came. He, he made a promise that he will return and that he will restore. And he came and he did that. He began that work. And then he's made that promise that he's going to return again. And I, I believe that. You know, we were studying Revelation. We didn't get to finish it. And we're hopefully going to finish it this fall and everything. But all that stuff, I love the book of Revelation. It freaks out people. But I read it saying, oh, it's coming to an end. Every time I listen to Fox News on my car and, and I'm listening to everything that's going on in the world, I'm like, one day closer. One day closer because he promised that he's going to come. He promised it and he can't break his word. He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to set up his rule. And when he does that, what a great day. I've told this story before. Uh, there's a, a guy that he was a doctor and he's, he spent his life in Africa dealing with AIDS patients. And he watched a lot of people die. And every time they would ask him pray, he would always end his prayer. God, even now, come. Just come. And there were people that would come up to him and pastors, just kind-hearted people saying, why do you keep praying that? There's so many more people that need to hear. There's so many more people that we can reach if, if he just waits another day, waits another year or so. You know, we, we can reach so many more people. And he's like, you don't understand. When he comes, I don't have to watch anybody die anymore. Disease is gone. Death is gone. It, it's all done. It's back the way it was always supposed to be. And so that promise is our hope. That's what we carry on. When we do the Lord's Supper, it's not only remembering, but it's looking forward to the day where we have that person to person. And he says, do this to remember me, but also do it to remember I'm coming back. That I'm going to fulfill this promise, this covenant. That my father, that the father made with David, that he made with Abraham, and that it was firmed up in Moses, and now, now in David, it's even firmed up more. That there's a specific person; it's not just a nation. There's a specific person that's going to come and rule. In fact, Jesus Himself makes it very, very clear in Revelation twenty-two sixteen. He says, "I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest these things to you for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star." Anybody that says, well, Jesus is mine, then he's a liar. Because right there he says it. I, I am the root of David. I am that line. I am the king that is to come, that the last king, the best king, the only king. I'm coming, and it's going to change everything. Billy Graham, Billy Graham said this. He said, the second coming of Christ will be so extraordinary that it will change every aspect of life on this planet. Christ will reign in righteousness. Disease will be arrested. Death will be modified. War will be abolished. Nature will be changed. Man will live as it was originally intended he should live. That's that covenant. That's that promise that we can hold on to. That no matter how bad it seems out there, God knows. And at the perfect time, He'll send his son back. When that day comes, war's done. Politics is done. Death is, all of it is done. 
us heal them and he'll be righteous and it'll be holy and it will be just it, it amazes me so many people talk about justice on this planet we need justice we need justice we need justice we will not find justice on this planet until there is a god until we turn over control of everything to god and say you rule it because you're the one that has defined you're the one that maintains you're the one that does just and so we won't find it man but it's a promise all the way back in david saying man great you want to build me a temple this is what i want to do through you and, and so again we get to see the gospel the promises of god kind of coming and fulfilling through just think about that day what a great day back then when this entire covenant system decides it, it all comes to fruition. And next week we get to talk about the new covenant, the covenant that Christ put in, that changed everything. We talked a little bit about it this morning, that it was more about the heart than about the things we do. It, it's more about what God wants to do through us and in us than what we do for him. And, and so it, it changes everything. But I hope you're seeing as we're doing this, as we've done this couple of week journey through this that the gospel this message of hope is not a new testament thing it began all the way back at the garden it began with abraham saying i got a plan and this is how it's going to work and piece by piece we get a bigger picture of what it is and abraham it's broad strokes it's like okay there's going to be a nation of people and you're going to bless all people and okay cool I get that. And Moses, we start getting it fine-tuned. It says, and this is why. There's a way you're supposed to live that you were always supposed to live. And this is it. And if you live this way and you understand that you can't do this without this coming king. And all of a sudden, David shows up. And now it's like, now it's a specific. There's a specific person that I'm going to place there. That is, He's going to reveal. He's going to show you everything that the law couldn't do. And he's going to take care of all that. And next week, we get to meet him his covenant and this new covenant the promise all the way back in jeremiah says well there's days coming when i will write my laws upon the hearts of men the fulfillment of that comes in christ the fulfillment of abraham of moses and of david comes in christ and god keeps his promise all the time and he's going to keep this one any thoughts questions I know it's a lot of history. It's a lot of stuff, but but I'm wanting you to get that picture. Like, God actually thought about this. It wasn't one day saying, what are we going to do? Uh, oh, I got an idea. Let's try this. He doesn't lead the way I pastor. <laughs> a lot of times I just sit here and go, like, let's try that. Let's do that. He's always had a plan. And it flows all the way through Scripture to that day when he stands there and there is no doubt, and all this other stuff is fixed. So let's pray.